Learning from Legends is a podcast created to share the immense wisdom and experiences from legends and legends in the making. If you're starting or building your own company, or if you want to hear what it takes to be legendary, then stay tuned and welcome to Learning from Legends. So my first guest is a partner and sits on the board of directors for GTIF Capital, the North American Collegiate League, Face Clan, Comloan, and Sherbert, to name a few. He's also a co-investor in a recent acquisition that we made with my first startup, 2020. He's the former CFO and VP of SparkleCoin and is a member of the Young Entrepreneur Council and previously spoke on their expert panel. In 2005, David was the visionary behind the first China services group for Deloitte, Mexico, which later went on to win the Standards of Excellence Award for their work on a $1 billion merger. David and his team worked on over 500 transactions with dozens of Fortune 500 companies. Despite having an immense resume and a long list of invaluable experiences, David is extremely down-to-earth and humble. The interesting thing about David most people don't know is that his family overcame tremendous adversity when he was younger, growing up poor in Taiwan, and moving to the U.S. when he was just a little boy. As immigrants, David's family worked in the restaurant business and even found themselves homeless at one point in time. David's story is a testament to what's possible, and I'm excited to see what's to come from this man in the future. So without further ado, the man, the myth, and the future legend himself, Mr. David Chen. You know, it's been a while since you and I have caught up. Uh, We're, what, three weeks into 2020. Uh, why don't you kind of bring us up to speed or bring me up to speed as to um, kind of what you're working on. I know you're heavily involved with some uh, huge projects right now in esports and uh, things that are associated with GTI of capital. Uh, why don't you bring me up to speed with, uh, let's start with esports, uh, FaZe Clan and um, the North American Collegiate League. Yeah, um, you know, uh, esports has always been a passion of mine. I, I was very fortunate to come in last year and, and be a very small shareholder in FaZe Clan. For those of you who don't know, you should probably ask your young kids. They're the largest esports team in the world. 10 billion views, 330 million subscribers. Um, really influential in what they're trying to do. And, you know, when I came in December, they were estimated to be valued 120 million this year from Forbes. As of last month, they put us at 250 million, which was a phenomenal growth rate in a very short amount of time. Um, these guys are great guys. They're, they're influencers of many, many sorts. They play games. They do content. They do strategy. We have great partnerships with Nissan and SteelSeries. Obviously, uh, you know, I'm just a small investor in that, but it's definitely allowed us to open up opportunities. And the first thing I did with them together was I put together a Super Bowl commercial with Gary V's company, VaynerMedia, my business partner, Steve Babcock. Um, we put in uh, Phase Apex into the commercial that Charlie Sheen and A-Rod was there. There's that Planet Peanuts commercial that just came in, and we did phenomenal with that. And, you know, that was what we did the first time last year. So, you know, they've been pretty good and phenomenal and everything else. Offset came in as a partner. That's been doing great. They have a lot of these limited merch drops. So you talk about branding and buying power. A company of that magnitude and social influence is able to sell a champion hoodie that they put together and literally our, the first one they did last year, they, it was an $80 sweater and they sold mm-hmm. 10,000 of them in 28 minutes. Wow. Unbelievable, right? Unheard of in the apparel world. It is. So they really have the branding, the focus. We have a great team. Uh, Lee Trink is a president. He used to be the CEO of Capital Records. Um, 
Greg Selko is the president of the company. He used to be the CEO of, of a very large company called Karma Loop. Clinton Sparks, who brought me in, one of my best friends, is, uh, is the uh, business uh, development VP. He also runs uh, Dash Radio, but he's also responsible for guys like DJ Snake, uh, Khaled, things like that. He was one of the guys that were E Entertainment in the very, very beginning. If you remember back in the day with Julia Rancid, that was what we'd watch. That was him. So okay. it, they've been really great at lifestyle and content, and, and they've really influenced a lot of brands, and, and they're growing at a, a tremendous rate with under great leadership. And so I was very fortunate to be part of that and bring that Super Bowl commercial to them. Uh, the other thing I'm doing, obviously, is the North American Collegiate League, which you see right here. It's a nonprofit. We work with 220 universities. We have 20 game titles that we're doing, uh, anything from FIFA to Madden to Fortnite to Counter-Strike. <clears throat> We've done eight tournaments. We just started this uh, a couple months ago. And what it does is it gives the eSports community and the college students a platform to play in tournaments and to immediately receive cash prize money. If you're a college student who wants to take this seriously and your parents are always on you and saying video games are a big waste, well, right. mom and dad, I just paid the rent last one because I won a tournament. That's the way to go, and that's with us. Which we didn't have the luxury of, right, when we were gaming, playing like Doom back in the, uh, what, probably the 90s? If, if we had the luxury of that, me and you would probably be the biggest esports stars in the world right now, right? So, <laughs> yeah, maybe so. So, so. so the reality is, is, but it also gives them a platform because what most people don't understand is, you know, we actually have the very first collegiate streaming rights to air our live tournaments with a company called Huomao out in China. And in China, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube are not allowed to air there. So the fact that we were able to pull this off in our three months of being around has been phenomenal. We picked up 10,000 subscribers and 300,000 views in our first two months. So for an advertiser who wants to get in the esports space, mm -hmm. not only are we tax deductible, but we could also do a global brand out in China as well. And we're really excited to announce that we also signed a deal with Iceland TV. That's a 48 episode. You're the first person I've told this on air, so I haven't even mentioned it on my stuff. Uh, 48 episode, two-year agreement. To, we've been greenlit for two shows. One is called Replay, where we take the highlights of our tournaments and we highlight individual players. And the other one is our basically weekly update on news and esports that's going on, which I get to co-host and anchor, which I'm super excited about to talk about and dive in deep with esports. What's happened is during our time of these tournaments, we've had two players literally go pro. I, I can't say who it is yet, but they went pro and they're starting off with pretty decent salaries coming out of our tournaments and, and playing in other tournaments and becoming pro. So that kind of shows the relevancy of esports and where we're at. Um, we have a great team. Some, some of our business partners include Rick Barry from, you know, the Hall of Famer from Golden State Warriors, yep. Benny Del Negro, who used to coach for the Clippers and the Bulls, uh, Jeremy Roanoke, uh, NHL All-Star uh, Hall of Famer as well, uh, Fat Levere from the Nuggets, Brian Anderson mm -hmm. from the White Sox, Anthony Alfredo from NASCAR. Uh, those are some of our great partners. We also have Mari Takashi from Smosh Gaming. She has 4 million subscribers one of the great people. And then I mentioned, of course, Steve Babcock, uh, Jimmy Beretta, whose family is really, really big in the entertainment industry. And even Marcus King, who is from Dash Radio, and he was responsible for Jamie Foxx, helping him grow his career and many, many comedians. So we've been really fortunate, right, to have this viewing right and TV right, but it's instant access. It's the ability to, the same reason that we 
that Facebook now you advertise and the same reason that you advertise on Instagram is the same reason you're gonna advertise on eSports because who watches a tournament for eight hours and is sitting there and remembering what is going on? And that is what we've been doing. And we were very fortunate enough to grow that in the community and really help bring these guys into light, especially in Asia where eSports has been around for a long, long time. And it really is helping grow uh, what we're trying to do in a short amount of time. Fantastic, man. Um, I wanted to uh, first congratulate you on securing the deal, the 48 episode deal. Um, can you just for our listeners, can you spell out the name of the, the company that you made that partnership? I, the letter I and then S-U-N, Sun, and then TV. I, Sun, TV? Mm-hmm. And is that also um, the company that gave you access to those streaming rights that you, no, you mentioned? No, uh, Huomao, H-U-O-M-A-O is the one that give us the streaming rights. H-U-O-M-A-O. Right. And how did that, uh, and there's a lot to un- unpack here, but how did that deal come about? Was that re- a relationship-based um, <clears throat> opportunity that you unlocked? I think it's two things. I mean, one, obviously, was relationship-based opportunity, but two, it was also uh, my previous career at Deloitte. For most of the people uh, that do know me in El Paso, the assumption was I was a club and bar owner, but nobody realized that I was probably one of the youngest managing partners at Deloitte. So when I was at Deloitte, based out of the FA, you know, right. Shout out to my people over there. At where Twitter. I'm at now. Yeah, where you are now. Um, <laughs> I was there in Ciudad Juarez and Tijuana. And we had about 82% of the marketplace. So every major Chinese manufacturing facility that you can see there, you know, I was fortunate enough to help bring in from 05 to 15. And then we were also fortunate enough to have uh, Kia Hyundai as one of my clients where we, you know, and I was lucky because I did all sides of our business, whether it was consulting, evaluations, mergers, learning how to make a company grow on a 10x. That's what I did. And we did so well that the current minister of economy in Mexico to China, Jose Luis and Cecil used to work underneath me as a manager. So wow. it was super impressive. We also helped start Comse, which is uh, the commercial exterior of trade for Oceanic and Mexico. And I was one of the founding members of that. That's actually based out of the FA. And, you know, I was fortunate to attend events where the president of China would come with the president of Mexico and ambassadors would come and government delegations. I'd be the keynote speaker there. And because of that and my reputation in that field and being able to speak Spanish, Chinese, English, um, it really kind of helped when I went back over there in China because although I wasn't from Deloitte anymore, I was a part of Deloitte Family, Deloitte Network, and then had a great reputation uh, over there. And it just kind of allowed us to kind of focus in on where to put in esports because everybody wants to get in it. Everybody wants, you know, wants to understand it. Everyone sees their nieces, nephew, kids playing eight hours a day, burning through their thumbs. Everyone knows what Fortnite is. And it's because uh, it is such a phenomenal movement right now. And that's kind of what allowed us to do what we do with the TV side and the streaming side. And you think that experience or that accolade of having worked, I think you had started what with Deloitte back in 2005, if I'm correct. Oh, five. That's correct. So, so that experience um, that you just kind of, touched on um do you think that kind of unlocked um the opportunity for you to even get involved like with what clinton had going on with uh face clan and even your involvement in with um you know nacl or, or... I, I would i would say clinton i met because when i had a nightclub lounge called rockstar sushi mm-hmm. clinton was actually a dj and oh, he, wow. he came down and I, and I actually just paid him and clinton said you were the only person that ever wanted to invite me to have breakfast the next morning and just talk you just want to get to know me. And Clint and I stayed friends for 10 years and talked about doing several businesses until he mentioned 
phase and that's how I jumped on the opportunity. So you right. proposed breakfast the next day or he did? I did. Got it. So that's actually a great takeaway for some of our listeners um, it, it as to it what is. kind of became of that gesture, right? Right. Because a lot of times with business, I mean, the ideas are great, but a lot of people are the point in their lives where they don't want to pick up a phone call because they don't want to talk to you anymore. It's not like, oh my gosh, I don't want to talk to this guy again, right? A lot of times the, the spiritual, the mental, the, the long-term goals aren't the same. And you start realizing that as you're collaborating, and that's what to me leads to a lot of failures in business because I've failed many, many, many times, right? Um, and like so, out of alignment? Is that what you mean? You kind of, that, you're, that, that, that alignment, you're misaligned. Right? You're completely misaligned. So with Clinton, we were really lucky because we just vibed. I mean, we understood each other. We became friends. And from that friendship, he had the faith that I would be interested in that. And I knew about video games. So I obviously grew up gaming. But when I was at Deloitte, a lot of our big investors were looking at healthcare tech space, especially in VR. Mm -hmm. And that is how I kind of got involved with, with FaZe. And then eventually the nonprofit for NACL, which was very phenomenal for us. And is there a, um, I guess, a synergy opportunity that you see, obviously, having um, a stake in, in both ventures? Um, I'm imagining because they both fall under the umbrella of esports. I know one's at the collegiate level, and you mentioned a couple of players have actually made it into pro. So is FaZe Clan considered like at the pro level? And yeah, NAC, yeah. is that so just like in traditional sports, you have a collegiate level and a pro level? Right. I mean, obviously, they're completely two separate entities, right? right. I mean, I don't. I don't do the day to day by any which means that phase, you know, again, I'm just an investor and, and an advisor. Right. But, and I will bring deals here and there, but phase would be the Lakers and NACL would be the NCAA. Got it. So even though they're within the same uh, umbrella, they're not, there's no way to, um, I guess, strategically leverage one another in any, any identified way up into this point. Yeah. We, I, mean, I think it's important to separate them, you know, cause, cause I don't want to leverage one over the other. Um, but obviously if there's something that could be done, we'll, we'll definitely bring it to the table and go from there. How interesting. So going back to kind of the business model of, um, you know, NACL, uh, what, what stage are you guys at with this venture? So you obviously were brought on, um, as a partner, as a, as an advisor, or did you, uh, were you part of the founding team? It's a nonprofit. So I was brought on to the board and I was named president. I was very fortunate to do that. Um, and what was really, really amazing was, you know, it was just for the love of esports, right? You know, we really are a nonprofit. We've have already ran eight tournaments very successfully. Our last one was our Fortnite tournament that we ran uh, two weeks ago. I had some great people that came in and some viewership. We have a tournament coming up February 1st to the 3rd, which is Counter-Strike. You know, we're growing up playing Counter-Strike, mm -hmm. where we anticipate 64 teams from all around the nation to compete. The winner of that tournament gets to go to a pro semi-pro circuit called power bugs which is a phenomenal thing that's the first uh, of its kind because it, it brings you to the next level and then we have another fortnite tournament coming up february 22nd which is open to all people in different fortnite formats so it's really for the love of esports it's really a passion project of mine uh and it's really just trying to keep growing that you know a lot of these what i've, what I've been very very lucky with is a lot of these younger people have, have messaged me on twitter and instagram they're just asking life advice, right? And, and, and I'm not by mm -hmm. any which means a guru like the guys that are running FaZe, but I understand business enough to put a decent amount of investment into that company uh, as well as working my time at doing this. So it's really kind of helped spurt and grow a growing industry that I'm very, very proud of. 
Yeah, that, that's great. Quite impressive. And I think it's awesome that you um, aligned your passion for, for gaming with um, kind of what's happening on more of a macro level with, you know, the industry as a whole, and especially doing it at the collegiate level where you're able to kind of interface with these, these uh, players and this audience at such an early stage and kind of maybe, you know, carry that on throughout the life cycle um, as they move into, you know, uh, pro viewership and pro, pro play. Uh, and these eight events that you mentioned, David, um, these were like, when I say live events, were they, were they in person? Like you rented out online. a stadium, all online? So okay. seven were online, one was live. The one that was live, we were fortunate enough to do uh, with Phoenix Speedway on November 8th. We mm -hmm. worked with our partner, Anthony Alfredo, who just got picked up by Richard Childress Racing and NASCAR. His story was phenomenal because he learned to be in NASCAR from video games, racing cars and simulators, and then joining NASCAR, which is a phenomenal wow. thing. Right. So kind of like the way you learn how to fly a plane. Exactly. So how serious the video games is pretty darn serious. Huh. And we did an, a live event where we took four NASCAR drivers um, who basically played with our college guys doing NASCAR heat. And then we crowned a winner while the race is going on live. And we were very fortunate to be picked up by NBC. They, they covered us a little bit with Rutledge Wood talking about what we're doing on the esports side of things. Uh, it was the first time. Uh, that we were able to do that with, with a major event. And that was our first live event. And it just went great, man. It was amazing. So did, so did you, that's great to hear, dude. Um, and I can imagine events are um, quite complex in terms of all the logistics and the planning. Did you outsource that piece of the business to like a third-party event planner or who took it's care of that component? Everything we do is in-house. The production, the TV, the editing, the clipping, the translations, the running of the tournament, we do that in-house. That that's a massive. That yeah, it's something that we do offer it brings real value to people, um, but we do that in-house. We don't have any major event. I mean, we're working on potentially, we have several major ones in the pipeline that we're negotiating right now. Um, I can't disclose yet, but it really allows us to really, you know, we understand our trade well enough to do that. And how many employees do you guys have at NACL? Or uh, right now, about 15. Contributors. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's impressive. And, and how is the turnout on the event? Turnout's great. I mean, we we're averaging about 400,000 half a million views, depending on what it is. Okay. Um, we're still taking some time and going from there, but we've done this in three and a half, four months. So it's been a very phenomenal thing. And is it free admission or is there like a part of the revenue model where you charge tickets to access the, uh, the event? As of now, everything is free. You know, okay. we, we just want to give gamers the ability to game. We want publishers to, we want to help push the product out into the market. We just take sponsorships, which, Again, our 501C is 100% tax deductible. Uh, and of course, our advantage again is that we do air in several Asian countries that most people in the world don't. And okay. that kind of helps grow our industry as well. So you're getting the content, you're getting the data, you're getting the exposure, keeping the top of funnel nice and, and wide, and then um, you know, provide, providing more value for uh, partners and advertisers who want to align with the brand and they like Absolutely. the concept. Absolutely. Got it. Very, very cool, man. And uh, are you guys uh, backed by um like have you have you guys raised any money for the venture if you if we've raised some money and we have some strategic partnerships that we're looking for um but you know it's again it's a nonprofit, so it's just a matter of putting that together okay. and we depend on that um i funded a good amount of it at this point which has been great to kind of kick it off but that that shows my belief in the esports industry right as well as what we're doing ourselves and I'm just curious, I don't know much about the, you know, scaling like a nonprofit. Um, you know, I, I have some familiarity with 
raising capital within my own ventures, like 2020 as an example, and you know my newer project, um, Humanity X. But on the nonprofit side, um, do you strictly rely on uh, donations in order to you know fuel growth, or is there, or do you treat it like a traditional venture where you have like a proper seed round of like a seed round of donations, or, or can you talk a little bit about how that works with a nonprofit? Yeah, so a nonprofit, we just depend on donations and sponsors that want to go from there. The value that we bring in non-traditional sense is because we do do the media side and we do have the right side of, of TVs and viewership that mm -hmm. helps grow the event and that helps shape the event, which is very, very different from a traditional raising thing that we've done in the past, right? But it is definitely invaluable uh, to what we're trying to do. Very, very, very cool. And so um, you mentioned there's another event coming up on February 22nd. First to the third, which is uh, Counter-Strike. First to the third of February? Yes, that's correct. And then February 22nd, we also have a Counter-Strike event. And if people wanted to find out how they could um, either, you know, attend or be, I'm assuming these are online. Right. You just have to go to playnacl.com, sign okay. up, register, and, and we'll get you in. And what do you think is the biggest, I guess, misconception or stereotype for them? Let's say somebody like me who at one point in my life really liked gaming. And um, obviously the technology with games has, has far surpassed probably like a thousand X what it was when, you know, you and I were playing like Mario Brothers, right? Right. And so, I mean, it's the experience is, is unbelievable. I've, I've been in front of, um, you know, massive screens and I've seen some of the newer games and it's, it's just mind blowing. I mean, they're literally like movies. And when you add that element of competition and, you know, viewership and then camaraderie with friends and, and there's just so many more dynamics now. Right. Um, what do you think prevents you guys from spreading the word even further into maybe communities who would be potential, um, you know, target audiences, but they just haven't quite resonated maybe because they have lack of exposure or lack of understanding as to how entertaining it is and how, uh, fun it is, even if it's just from like a viewership standpoint, not necessarily as a player. Um, what right. would you, what would you say to that to somebody who is just kind of like on the fence as to how they could maybe look at this as maybe one element of the way they entertain themselves throughout the, the week? I, I think it depends on what funnel you're looking at, right? If you're looking at from a funnel where you're a sponsorship, the reality is you're constantly trying to grow in industries that are up and coming and moving because you're trying to grab a new target audience, right? So mm -hmm. we all watch basketball. We all watch boxing. We all watch football, right? We play it, but why do we watch it on TV, right? That's no different than watching esports. The same reason you're watching Kobe shoot a shot and learning his moves is the same reason you're doing that in esports because you want to learn how they're doing the trick shot. Why? Because you're, as you're doing competitive gaming, you're winning money. The same reason that we put all things on social media for instant access to a larger audience mm -hmm. is what esports is. You're taking instant access of this game of an up and coming audience, of a growing audience of, of your Gen Z, and you're hitting that target market at a very, very quick rate. And unlike when we were growing up, it was us and our friends watching and playing. We weren't able to put on YouTube and Twitch and clip and edit and stream it. It was just playing. But if we were able to do that, that's how it grows. So the, phenomenal, the phenomenon exists, and it's obviously very, very massive. That's why you guys, you know, in the esports world, you have your Nissans, you have your Budweiser's, you have, uh, you know, your BMWs who are all coming into the esports world segment wow. because they realize it's a different sector. The guys who are playing the events aren't necessarily playing sports outside at this point. You know, a lot of the guys play indoors, but they play indoors to, to stream, to get content, to get viewership, 
but to also be on the competitive side of gaming. And I think people misconceive that because like, who wants to watch gaming? Their reaction back is who wants to watch two people box? Who cares that Canelo is boxing? Sure. I don't care. Same concept, right? It's, it's what your wow. viewership and your audience is. So you look at something like the Kardashians, which have, you know, they've killed ratings for all these years. Why do mm -hmm. they do that? It's a reality TV show. Who wants to watch them? You might not like them. I might not like them, but the rest of the world likes them. And every single viewer that comes in equals a sponsorship and brand value. Sure. And that's sure. what we're doing. That's the value of it. It's the quickest way to hit something like that. So, you know, even if you're doing uh, something as big as Humanity X, it's perfect synergy because it's instant access to 220 universities who can know about this event. Instead of you having to reach out and spending tons of money acquiring this to make, user. To get those impressions at an right. audience of that scale. It's immediate. And that's where the value is. Plus, it's the age group that you're looking for. So someone even like you, uh, you know, we'll talk about MasterCard. MasterCard, you know, they have a strategy where it's set it and forget it, right? Why? Because on your Xbox, you put a MasterCard, right? And then you have to upgrade. You're buying new games, new mm -hmm. skins, whatever mom and dad are being bugged by their kid. You don't get rid of that credit card. Same credit card, right? But why does that matter to them? Because they're making the fees, right? right. And that's why they want to do that. Plus, from the 18, 22-year-olds, it's a your audience that's coming in and they're trying to get credit cards. So they want to have that loyalty. So a lot of these brands are thinking in those terms. And that's why esports is so big, not to mention the fact that it's a global audience. So if we're playing sports, we're playing basketball, yeah. and we want to go to China, there is a 17-hour flight, there's two days of rest, there's acclimation, and then you have to play. Esports, you pop online, you play. Right. You that's That's it. ama it's amazing. It is. So in our Fortnite tournament, we had, a, we had, we had uh, people from Germany playing live. I mean, there, there might be a bandwidth issue, but they, guys who have any money, they'll figure that out. And they're playing live. So now you're getting instantaneous global access that you couldn't get before. Other, otherwise, yeah, it really creates a mechanism for like um, a lot of different, like you said, you could, you could uh, build brands, like personal brands. You could build merch exposure for merch brands and merch revenue. Yep. Yep. Um, so what, what are uh, some of like, what have you found have been some of the challenges with, you know, discussing the, the size of this opportunity with some of these brands that maybe don't quite get it yet or the, the magnitude or the power of it? Um, what are, what are some of like, what would be a good fit for, I know you mentioned like Nissan, um, who was the other, you had mentioned another like pretty MasterCard. MasterCard, right? So those are the kind of the more, I guess, like fortune 500, uh, level companies, but for maybe more like a middle market company, um, would there be an interest there? Like, let's say tech companies, right? Like in the Valley, um, would they, like, what would be a good example of a, of a potential uh, partnership? So so you talk about our laptops and our computers, every gamer has a very specific gaming card that they have to use. So a company called Ant has really taken over the video gaming card. From Asia. From Asia. Yeah, different from, Ant Financial. Right, different from AMD and Intel, right? Because they're uh -huh. video processing, think about that. So the, so the computer side has really had a, a big growth and the previous leaders that existed that were focusing on B2B and then maybe consumer, right? Have now flipped because there's a gaming. And the guys in gaming, they're not buying MacBook Airs. They're not. They're not buying HPs. They, they, they might be buying, you know, the Predator from, from, from Acer, uh, but they're also making their own systems and rigs to suit their needs and their financial abilities. And that's where the opportunity comes from. If you went to Vegas, you want to see how wow. big this is? When you go to Luxor, 
Do you not see a giant banner that says Hyper X Arena? That's an esports arena in Vegas. Hyper X Arena, wow. Right, in Vegas, right? So that's how big this is. And the best part is you have a new generation of demographic people, <coughs> again, 18, 22 years old, that are in the collegiate scene. But you also have all these young people who are now no longer watching TV, right? They're watching Netflix or watching YouTube and they're growing. That's the new generation. And so we're focused and dialed in on those platforms to show them the games. Incredible. Um, yeah, it sounds like it. So what's the future for you look like with, uh, with esports? kind of, you know, going out as far as the eye can see, maybe, I don't know, three to five years down the road. Are you looking to kind of double down on the early success that you've seen with North American Collegiate League? Uh, do you find yourself maybe getting more involved with, uh, with FaZe? Um, maybe kind of just touch, touch lightly on what, what you kind of see coming in the future. I mean, for me, it, it, it's growing the, the, the love of esports. It's being part of the community. It's helping grow everything that we're trying to do. Obviously, um, you know, we anticipate to have, you know, several leagues in several parts of the world and continue to grow that. But it really is for the love of the game. You know, the other thing people don't realize is esports, there's a lot of classes for esports. UCI has classes. Uh, my interns, who are now my partners, I spoke at U of H talking about esports. I talked about, I spoke at WVU to talk about esports. Because even with that, now you have a new digital platform is how do you advertise esports? You have new lawyers who have to understand esports. Right. You have new accountants who have to understand esports. The whole there, ecosystem. That, the that's whole ecosystem created. that is now growing. Yeah. That is no different than anything we've ever seen in the previous past. The only difference is, is that it is something that people enjoy. And 63% of the world plays video games. 60, I don't care if it's Candy Crush. I don't care if it's All Scrabble. age ranges? All age ranges. I don't care if it's Scrabble. I don't care if it's Mario Kart or Fortnite. Somebody is playing that game, and that should be relevant to anyone that's in small business, big business mentality to invest, to grow, and get their brand out there. Sure. Wow. So, so two kind of final questions on um, esports before maybe we move into GTIF Capital, um, if sure. I may is on the business development side, uh, I would imagine you're, you're involved in that to some capacity with mm -hmm. bringing on more um, advertising partners. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a team or an individual that's dedicated uh, to that process? I know like, you know, in my business with 2020 and my camp, uh, we have very long sales cycles. Um, you know, in some cases we could be working a M&A transaction for the better part of two years, right? As an example. Right. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of, investment that goes into um you know carrying that entire process and the legal involved and you know sourcing the the um you know the leads and and a lot of like go sees and flying people out and whining and dining and then you know maybe only a third of them will actually follow through so what's been kind of the sales process like for you guys thus far um is is that in fact one of the biggest challenges for you is like bringing on new big you know sponsors to kind of help uh, finance like ongoing initiatives and um, uh, yeah, any, anything else that you'd like to share with regards to, to, you know, I think in any, any startup, whether it's a nonprofit or business, there's always that beginning stage where you're asking yourself, this is what you want to do. Is this really going to be worth it? But then when you talk to people in the industry and you truly believe in your heart, that it's something very passionate you can do, it makes a big difference, right? Cause you still focus on your end goal. I mean, it's definitely one of those spaces with people who are in the spaces. There's been other leagues that have been around a lot longer than we have uh, that have done very, very well in the space and they've done great for the community. 
uh, we're, you know, we're just an additional two, right? The only difference again is that we are in Asia for streaming and TV rights. The reality is it's just a, a ability to kind of keep growing. So we do work very, very closely by speaking constantly to sponsors and new potential partners that can work with us. And that is something that we do on a daily basis this morning. I've already had four meetings, okay. uh, you know, cause I'm two, three hours behind you. Uh, started at seven o'clock this morning dealing with, the, with with this. So it is a constant thing that we have to do. Is that it's one of the big primary initiatives of like what your day involves is like growing partnership, the partnership absolutely. channel? Growing the partnerships, growing the company, it has to be a win-win for both sides. Right. And that's kind of where our value is. And so we try to keep that in mind as we're trying to keep growing the space. And do you guys have technology in place that allows them to get um, like data and analytics as far as like click-throughs or unlike a traditional, you know, billboard you'd see on, on the side of the freeway, are they able to really track like information? And I guess at, you know, to, at what degree does that become like a, <clears throat> like a privacy issue, but like how can you add more value to them or, or, you know, even maybe somebody like myself with Humanity X, I'd be interested in, in giving this a look. Um, so that you can actually really see, um, like who your, who your ads are reaching and, and how that kind of equates to, you know, sales and, and, and traffic coming in at the top of the funnel on your landing page or your website. Isn't it? Right. So we're very cautious, obviously of the data that we do receive, you know, we are a nonprofit, so we do not try to give out any of that information. What we do do is we have a partner uh, and through our email list, we do send out updates. And on our tournaments, we have updates and our tournaments are live. So I mentioned to you earlier, you know, our average tournament is an eight hour, two day tournament where on the banner we'll have the company's logo that is going through 12,400 times. Now you tell me if we have 500,000 people tuning in and it's going out 12,000 times, what is that worth to your company? Right. And every college is playing a different game. So that's why we have different titles. One college might have this title, the one doesn't. That's no different than saying one college has a rugby team and the other one doesn't have a rugby team. What we do is we try to play the games that they like, identify what they have, and then with our partnerships, we want to show them that we have these partnerships that are part of nonprofit that do care about this and really kind of push them as well into the frontier of esports. Fantastic. Well, keep us posted on um, you know, the, the, the future of what's going on with uh, NACL. Um, seems extremely, uh, like it's just full of potential and, uh, obviously you have a lot of, uh, background and experience that I think will, will fit nicely with what you're doing here. So, um, I'm excited to see kind of where this goes and, and learning more Thank about you. how maybe we can help, help you, um, you know, reach your, reach your vision there. So moving on to, uh, GTIF capital, um, I know you've been a partner there. Did you, uh, found GTIF capital with, uh, partners or what's kind of the origin story with GTIF? So, so we, we do private equity, uh, anything that we do, I, I, and our partners actually invest in as well. Um, we do things that we believe in. We do things that can have growth. That's important. The other side of our business is we do consulting and strategy, right? So taking that Deloitte experience, that 10 years of Deloitte and working with all these big companies, we implement it day-to-day uh, -day for companies to help grow and, and, and help succeed, right? Whether it's a business plan, whether it's consulting, whether it's valuations and helping kind of grow that to what you need to do with strategic partners. As you can see what we're doing with our nonprofit, we're yeah. taking that core concept and literally putting it to day-to-day -to -day business. And I think that's really where the value comes in because at the end of the day, if you are looking for that, you still do go to a KPMG, you do, do go to a Baker McKenzie, do go through these certain guys and IBM Consulting Solutions 
Mm-hmm. We're no different. You know, I was an ex-partner at Deloitte. So we have that experience and that proven success rate and model to grow and help companies. Got it. So you mentioned it's a private equity consulting strategy. Um, so do you guys still have an active fund at the moment? Are you still deploying uh, capital into companies? And um, are you vertical or stage agnostic? Uh, we are vertical. Um, and we do activate certain companies that we're looking at doing. So it just depends what it is and what sector we're at. Um, you know, we do have different investments, different things, but it really just depends on the actual business itself. Got it. Is there anything specific that you guys, um, you know, look out for? Like, are you more founder focused, uh, product market focused, timing focused? You're going to uh, love what's, what's kind of your thesis. We're, we're character focused. Character focused. <laughs> Elaborate on that for me. Well, you know, a lot of times you might get these giant returns and then you have to worry about if this guy is going to screw you up, you know, okay. Out of okay. Company. or you put your reputation online and you can get burnt. For us, it's, it's character focused. We really want to work with our partners. We consider our partnerships, you know, like you and I are partners in a company right. and you're one of the closest friends. Like I sincerely enjoy that, right? I enjoy talking to you. That's what I focus on. I think at this part of my life and our stage, that's what matters. So when we do that, it has to be so that really makes sense and going from there. But if the initial stages are we don't even want to run financials correctly or we don't want to, um, you know, consider this and this and this that are just part of the basic processes. To me, it's kind of a red flag depending on what it is. And okay. So as we start to learn and grow that, that allows us to kind of, you know, grow our business model and work with other people. So, so that's what I mean by character focus. It's, it's yeah. just much easier. I might not make as a ton of money as I probably could if I did it the, the, the traditional sense, mm-hmm. but I don't have to stress about things as much. And that to me is priceless. Sure. So you're kind of utilizing, um, you know, your own emotional intelligence um, and just kind of your gut feeling instinctually to ensure that you feel comfortable with this person, obviously that they um, not only have a, like, like a track record or a resume that also like lines up with like what they're delivering um, in person and how they carry themselves and, and what their, their goal, you know, their, their mission is or their values and um, that there's somebody that you could see yourself literally like bringing into the family because you very well, like you said, might be um, in a relationship with them for upward, the better part of a decade, right? Depending on the life cycle of that business. And so um, if they don't have that dynamic or that component, it's automatically a huge red flag to kind of go into further diligence. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've never had a good partnership with a partner that had bad character. And how do you vet that? Like, I'm sure you've, like you mentioned, you've run in, we've all run into, you know, situations with people in business where, whether it's a a hire um, or a partner, maybe an investor in some cases, Um, is there anything that you've found through your experience um, of of working with great people and then also working with people that maybe in hindsight, you realize maybe you should have never gotten to bed with in the first place? I mean, sort of like signals or anything that you can kind of provide as advice to help people. I I like to say, you know, it's, it's how they treat people and what they say. Like if I'm sitting with someone and they're not treating the waiter very, very nice, just Mm -hmm. to be a jerk, that to me is a red flag. You know what I mean? Great example. You don't have basic humanity and compassion to someone who is trying to do their job and help you. Right. And serve you at that point in time, that could be a red flag. Um, If, how they talk about their family members, how they talk about their friends. That to me really flag. I mean, the same acumen that we use to find friendships is the same acumen I use to find business friendships. Got it. And a lot of times it could be a miscommunication and, and I'm guilty as everyone else where you don't communicate properly. 
but it really is kind of seeing day-to-day viewership. I would like to think my partners are my friends mm-hmm. and then they become my partners. And, and I feel like that to me is extremely important. And obviously you can't do that in every, in every case, but if someone is someone I have to worry about at night, I just don't do business with them anymore. It's just not worth it to me at this point in my life. So it, it really does come down to the individual and, and the same skills so that anybody uses to meet people that they like is the same skills that I use in business. Got it. Yeah, it's a simple piece of wisdom, but I think it's very profound that you mentioned that as like one of the first things you look for. Thank you. Uh, because it, like you said, if you don't have that, then you're just setting yourself up for um, a disaster potentially exactly. in, the, in the future, regardless exactly. of how the, you know, the business turns out. And so when you guys uh, make an investment, it sounds like into a company um, and, and, and give them that additional advisory kind of support, um, do you guys typically look for like a seat on their board? Or what's, what's, uh... it, it just depends on what it is. Um, I mean, I, I like to personally, you know, have a seat on their board. I, I've been in plenty of situations where I've, I've been in the company and I didn't have that and things didn't go right. I've been in situations where, it, you know, things just change with people, right? So it's not necessarily like a position yeah. of power, it's to protect what we talked about in the very beginning. You know, it's to be, an additional moral compass too, and go from there. And, and I like to think that through my years of experience and growth and development, I've learned to become that type of person. I wasn't always like that. I've just learned to become that. Got it. And so I think that to me is significant and important. I never force it. It's never a deal breaker by any which means. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's something that I do pride myself in doing. And if they maximize and utilize me as much as they can, I will do my best to do that. Right. So that, that is very important as well. And how do you source these uh, relationships? I mean, outside of maybe just, um, you know, I don't know, friends or, I mean, you're obviously a very well-networked individual. Um, Is that how you get the majority of your deal flow with GTIF or how would somebody know that they're a good candidate to even like uh, reach out to you and see if there's a a fit? I think it's two senses, right? I mean, one, it's doing the research. You know, nothing is more frustrating for, for an investor or an advisor Hey, would you be interested in investing in an esports team? No, I can't. Mandate. interest. You yeah. didn't even give me. It's on everything on my social media. Why didn't you spend five minutes just looking at it? Okay. Right. So to me, that's already a red flag. Like you didn't care. I think the second thing is is you know my basic thing is when I go to any meeting, I research the individual. I look at their mm-hmm. social media. I look at their background because you're not pitching the CFO the same way you're pitching the CEO, which is different from the COO. That deck has to be changed. A lot of companies, they just get lazy. They make one deck for one person. That's all it is. The financial guys I'm looking at the same way the CEO is looking at, which isn't the same way the tech guys doing. So why did you spend the extra 15 minutes making the adjustments to fit that? That's extremely important, right? That means you didn't care. That means you didn't care. And to me, that's a big issue. Um, And I think the other thing is on top of that is like, there's certain things you just don't talk about. And, and some people, you know, they are a certain way on social media and they, you know, you can, you can sit there and, 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 and claim your thing for so long, but people have to be consistently that way. And what I realized is if there's certain people that just are extremists on any type of viewpoint that might not line up with mine, I still mm-hmm. talk about that stuff. I don't care to talk about it. It's nothing to talk about. I, I, I can like you, even though we have completely different political views or different views is all, but at the end of the day, we're all, we're all here to do one thing which we're all here to try to make it and do what's best for our families. Every single human being in this world is trying to make and go from there. And I think we forget that. And so if, if 
they can't even do those basic things. I just don't have any interest in working with you. It, it just doesn't make any sense for me. That's another really sound piece of advice that seems pretty obvious, I guess, um, from the outside. But a lot of people, I believe, you know, overlook that, like the fact that you said that if you're going to be, be meeting with somebody, not only do you prepare prior to meeting with them so that you, have, you, you can kind of get into their psyche, better understand what's important to them or what their interests are, just kind of set the framework for who you're about to speak to. But then at that, um, just kind of overly generalizing your marketing message as if it's for one person, when in reality, like as a great example, when we had first started, um, Omar and I, my co-founder at 2020, um, you know, kind of going door to door and doing it very bootstrapped in terms of getting new merchant accounts and, um, you know, speaking with business owners. Um, one of the things that we found a lot of success in is that instead of having just like one flyer, right, that was just advertising our credit card terminal and our rates and fees, which is, you know, uh, even at that point was, was a bit of a commodity, right? There's a ton of companies that offer that same service. We made a, a dental specific program so that when we would would speak to a dentist, which was like our preferred uh, target customer, um, there was language in there that um, made them feel that they were being like, um, you know, catered to and that we understood their needs and that we weren't just like blanketing the city with our message. It was very uh, oriented around that particular vertical. And we had a tremendous amount of success with that vertical. And then we leveraged that with other verticals showing like, look, if we've been able to do payment processing for these 15 dentists in town, then, then we feel confident that you would be willing to give us a shot as well, even though yeah. you're in retail or in hospitality or whatever. Right. And so um, I think that's a fantastic takeaway actually for our audience, even if it's just a refresher or a reminder to really tailor your message to, to the audience that you're speaking to, you know, one, one one right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome, dude. Um, so kind of moving, moving right along. Um, how are you doing on time? I have us at uh, maybe like 10 more minutes. We're doing, we're doing good. Uh, 10, 15, I think is great. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. What is something, Dave, that most people, uh, whether they know you personally or even professionally, um, don't know about you or wouldn't even think to ask? Um, anything that maybe like a fun fact that you'd like to share that uh, just isn't commonly brought up that, you know, maybe it's like a secret you've been kind of like hoarding onto about. Uh, I, I Feel would free say to brag a little bit if you need to or. You know, it's funny because in one of my previous podcasts is the assumption is that this was passed down money. And I think okay. even if it's passed down money, the relevancy is the guy still has to work to make it work. And people tend to forget that, right? Just because there's been plenty of cases where someone has millions and billions of dollars and because they didn't work hard, they've blown it. And there's plenty of cases who have people have zero dollars and they've blown it. For me, being coming here being economically disadvantaged, uh, being homeless at one point in our lives, not being able to speak English. I came from another country to the greatest country in the world for me, which was the US, and really kind of thriving and growing. That was a lot of people don't understand. I, I, I dropped out of college. I don't have a formal college degree and I was still a partner at Deloitte, right? And so what I want to tell people is it's, it's, it's really, it's all circumstantial and it really comes down to what you want to do. I'm from El Paso. You're from El Paso, right? But we choose not to focus on the things that we don't have. We choose to focus on things that we do have. And I think a lot of people have that misconception because when they see the highlight reel on social media, they don't know that we are busting our goals to get to that highlight reel. Just like you see Kobe's dunk, you don't see that Kobe's sitting there at the gym 
shooting X amount of free throw shots for X amount of hours. We're doing the right. same thing. We're grinding, we're hustling. And there's a common misconception right now, I think it's in social media, social entrepreneurs, is these guys have these great plans that if you just follow my method, I'm going to make you millions of dollars. Right. It's not true. It isn't. There's, there's, a, there's times where, where as an entrepreneur, you don't know if you're paying the business mortgage or your house mortgage or you're paying gas and you're paying water and there's days that you don't know if this is going to work and then you have to learn how to control it yourself so it doesn't affect your personal relationships because you're having a bad day and you and you can't take it out on the person that's that loves you that's stuff that i've had to learn as a business person that everyone needs to learn as a business person and i think you know a lot of people you know whether they hear good things about me or bad things about me the reality is you can't be that daft minded at this point in your life to not try to, if you wanted to meet me or yourself, at least give it a shot. I mean, you don't know how these people are. And, and just because, you know, I always tell people this, there are 10,000 versions of you. The version of Lucas to David is one version, which is in the same version of Lucas to Carl, which is in the mm-hmm. same version of Lucas to Omar. We look at you all a different scope. That doesn't define you who you are. It just defines you to us. And a lot of people make that, that mistake because they hear the crowd and they don't understand that the crowd hasn't moved and they stay still for the last 10, 15 years. Right. It's a very isolated vantage point that maybe that one individual has, uh, which is in most cases a very limited perspective, right? I always tell Carla, I think it's hilarious when, you know, when talking about haters and, and people who don't really understand the full picture. I always think of the guy up in the top, you know, in the nosebleeds of the bleachers yelling out when Kobe misses a shot, like you suck. Right. Right. Well, what he's eating his popcorn, right. You know, and he, and he has, you know, so you, you get the point, but, um, and I want to say something else. It's very comfortable to be comfortable. It's very uncomfortable to be uncomfortable. In other words, it's very easy to do with the masses and say the things and do the mom mentality. It takes a real human being, a real compassionate human being to understand that that is not important and that they want to understand and learn and, and, and know that person. And I think a lot of people, whether it's in business or in life, they rather be comfortable because they're more scared and it's easier to hate on because you're unhappy with your situation. So you don't want to feel bad about it. And a lot of times it's people's in own insecurities and they don't understand what you're doing. I'll give you a simple example of our friendship, right? Okay. Before we became partners and became friends, I obviously saw you online. Good looking guy, you know, nice six pack. We need to get those glasses uh, recalibrated. We get those glasses right. <laughs> Running around traveling the world. Do you think that <clears throat> see the fact that I know you're working 22 hours a day? No, I didn't see that. Do I think of the fact that you're at the gym busting your butt two hours a day? I don't see that. But the results showed. And a lot of people are so comfortable with the assumptions instead of realizing that that six-pack didn't come from nowhere or that that growth didn't come from nowhere. In fact, it was a lot of self-doubt and self-sacrificing going from there. And I think that's what makes people uncomfortable because it's much more easier not to do it than to do it. Mm-hmm. And where do you feel like people are, are getting it wrong? Because I know there's this culture from what I'm seeing, kind of looking at it from the inside and outside is, you know, like, like hustle. It's like this, this term, if you were to distill it down into one word, it's like, you know, I got my side hustle, I'm hustling, I'm hustling, I'm hustling. But what I, from my own personal experience and everything comes down to context, right? I think there's principles for success that anybody, anybody could adopt or deploy 
that would give them a higher probability of like reaching their full potential. Like that, that for me is true. Kind of like Ray Dalio's book principles. Right. But then there's a lot of like other, I guess, pieces of wisdom or advice or, um, tactics or strategies out there that, that don't have the same use case or when applied in different contexts or in different settings in business may or may not work. Like, you know, as an example, like some businesses have this uh, premise of, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll charge the customers, we'll upsell them, we'll, um, you know, give them more perceived value by, by charging them at the door, right? Like you could charge people that go into the NACL uh, events, like a hundred dollar ticket, but then there's like another, you know, and in some cases that might work, right? Like if you're going to watch Celine Dion, yeah, of course you charge them, you know, at the door because right. Celine Dion is super validated and, you know, the value that that customer is getting in exchange for that ticket price is probably 10x, right? I mean, how, right. how can you even put a value on Celine Dion's talent as an example, right? So you can justify right. that charging of $100. But in your case, if I was to say, well, David, you should be charging everybody $100 to come into your esporting events. Well, that advice doesn't necessarily resonate with your audience. It's just a completely different um, context. Right. And so in right. that context, that piece of advice doesn't work, right? And so right. going back to my question or my original question is I feel like there's a lot of people pushing online this notion of, you know, hustle your way to the top. You know, if, you, if you're not getting the results you want in life, just hustle. And I think in, in some aspects of life, that's really great advice, at least as, you know, maybe one cornerstone or one sliver of the pie. But I remember myself, you know, in, in my 20s, that was kind of, let's say, the, you know, ideology that I had going about my life, which is just, you know, get a job and like hustle. And at some point into the inevitable future, you're going to find yourself in a better position. But then I came to realize as I became a little bit older and a, and a bit wiser, was what if you're hustling at the wrong thing? Like what right. if I get my first job as a garbage collector and that's not me stepping into my fullest potential, but all I'm hearing around me is, you know, hustle, hustle, hustle. And so I start working like night shifts and I start working, you know, weekends and I become like the best garbage collector in the world. And then at the age of like 60 or 70, I realized like, damn, I spent my whole life hustling towards the wrong thing. And then that's right. just an example, right? Right. So maybe could you, could you elaborate a little bit on that? on that notion of hustling and, and kind of why that's not like the full, um, you know, that's not the only ingredient in the recipe of success from, from your experience. I think the real recipe of success is, is grit. It's not even hustle. Grit is your ability. It's like when you're in the military, right? And so that shout out to our military guys. They don't have a choice. They don't want to not be home on Christmas. They don't want to not be home on, on Thanksgiving. They don't want to be deployed. They don't have a choice because that's their job. And they're going from there. If you discipline yourself the way that that is, you don't have a choice. And that's the reality of it, right? Number one. Number two, they have to educate themselves more to survive. And we don't educate ourselves to survive. So the person that might be hustling and grinding that one thing, the reality is they're not educating themselves to grow. Look, <clears throat> my family came from the restaurant business. My parents could barely speak English when they came here. Mm -hmm. And we were economically poor. I dropped out of college. How did I get to Deloitte? I Googled everything. It's that simple. I, I spent the time educating myself, whether I'm in blockchain, whether I'm in, 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 in real estate, whether I'm in this, I Google and I spend time. The whole world now has the greatest piece of technology in the palm of your hands and we're too busy scrolling Instagram and taking photos. The whole world, the whole human civilization is in this thing. 
and you're not taking the time to educate yourself, you choose not to. And that's the big thing. At least admit it to yourself. And that's okay if you don't want to. I'm okay with that. But if you're sitting there, you're listening to one perspective and not the other and trying to really understand it, it's because you didn't care to understand the craft. Now, we all fail. I felt many, many times. Mm -hmm. But at least, how do I learn from that craft? And I think that's the biggest thing because hustling, to me, yes, you have to work hard. But if you fail, do you have the grit to get back up? Do you have the, the education and the ability to, to learn stuff? Do you have the ego to, to self-check your own ego and realize that you might be the richest man in the world, but you're the biggest POS that nobody wants to talk to and your kids resent you and your family hates you? Have you self-checked your ego? And that's the big thing in business that I constantly find. And I was the same way. Like, don't get me wrong, but it just came to a point in my life I was very fortunate through a very, very hard time that allowed me to realize that that wasn't what mattered to me, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and then I didn't care what other people's opinions were because anyone that, knew, that knows me doesn't have that opinion. That's just the reality of it, you know? And I have my opinions about other people, but those are my opinions, they're not facts. And I think a lot of people have to understand that, that, that grit and the ability to self-check yourself, the ability to kind of grow your, yourself and to at some point realize that you have to work and grow from there, that matters. I had a, a guy that I mentored once and he says, I hate my job. It's a dead end job. I'm not going to do anything with myself. And he's like, I, I, could, I could do this and that. I said, listen, if you can't even work this dead end job that you have no respect for, do you want me to believe that you can work a high end job? Just like if I can't crawl, how the heck am I going to run a marathon? You have to take pride in what you do. And from that pride of what you do, if you were as good as you said you were, you'd be a manager at that quote unquote restaurant, or you'd open your own restaurant. What you chose to do was you chose to, excuse my French, bitch and complain and right. not focus on what was important because you were so angry because your ego got you checked and your ego has now changed the whole entire influence and structure of business and your, where you should have been in life, mm -hmm. right? But you were just bitter and angry and then you get another job in the same industry and you're bitter and angry and you're just bitter and angry and instead of once for your life, say, hey, at least I have a job and really maximize that and grow on that value. And I get that they can be wrong boss, all other stuff, sure. but then grow from there and people don't do that. Yeah, it's kind of like not that Jim quote. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just kind of paraphrasing, but like you said, like you, you, be, you become what you are, right? So, so if you're in a, a point in your life or in your business or in a relationship that you're not completely satisfied or happy, it may in fact be just a reflection, maybe not of who you are today, but who you were in the past. And it's finally like the flowers finally like budding and like showing itself. Right. And so, um, I think to your point, when you mentioned about, you know, having grit and, and educating like what you did in your preparation for getting that gig at Deloitte, not having a college degree, not going about it like the standard or traditional way. Um, what, what advice would you give to somebody who's saying like, look, David, it's not the fact that I don't have grit. Yes, I have some disadvantages. I grew up in a small town. Maybe my parents don't support my, my ambitious um, you know, thinking. Um, you know, maybe I'm in a relationship where I'm a bit more motivated than, than my partner. And so I'm trying to like break out of this like old cycle of, of being of, of my former self, but I don't know what I should be self-educating. You know, I don't, you know, should I be educating myself on how to get a gig at Deloitte or 
how do I align with what my, my, I guess my passions are, my interests are, and how do I separate what's, what literally should remain a hobby with what could be an actual viable business and a way to sustain my, myself and my family, going back to your point earlier about everybody wanting to have, experience the best version of themselves and, and live right. the best life possible and share that with the people around them to some capacity. So what, what advice would you give to somebody who's kind of you know, outside of the traditional uh, period of their life where they're going to school, they're in their you know, early to mid, late 20s, early 30s. And yes, I agree with you. Everything is available right here on this phone and right through the internet, but there's like an abyss of knowledge and wisdom and information. How do they channel that into like learning the right thing so that they can take actions on those things in which they learn? To me, this is to me, there are some core perspective. things. Everything in this world involves selling. You're a doctor, you get to sell your services. Your IBM, you to sell your services. As a podcast, we're selling our services to a listener. You have to do sales. So in order to do sales, you have to understand that I hate sales. Well, then guess what? You're probably not going to be a salesperson. Even if you're an admin, you have to sell the fact that you can run that administration and that's a service. And people tend to forget that. So do you really understand sales? And do you understand the goal of sales? That is universal. Everything is sales. That's the first thing I tell everyone. So that's Number like a bedrock two, item, a fundamental it is, item. At least to me it is. Number okay. two, do you understand accounting. Everything is numbers. Do you have the basic knowledge of accounting and numbers and principles? How can, you know, the thing that frustrated me the most when I had some of the greatest chefs were they were selling these great items that were losing $20 a plate. It tasted great, but I'm here to make money. Do you understand the basic principles of what costs are and what money is and how to work on that? That to me is extremely important, right? Do you understand those principles? Because in anybody that's in sales, will understand that there has to be a benefit. I think anything I've ever seen, the basic Excel is extremely important because through that you can run numbers. I think it's very, very, very important to understand PowerPoint, I don't care traditional or not, but to understand that basis because people do want to see presentations and they want to see graphics. There are many, many people who are visual learners. There are many people who are audio learners. There are many people who are both. I'm both. So as a tool to articulate the knowledge that articulate of which you Articulate your knowledge. Right? And going from there, the other thing is, listen, if you don't feel you're ready and prepared, it's because you didn't educate yourself enough to be ready and prepared. You're not supposed to have all the answers. You just have a good amount of the answers. And I think that's extremely important as well. Um, and I think those are the basics for any business person. When you is, there, is there a book, David, or any resource that you'd recommend on the selling side? And, and just for people who might get that subject matter confused or, or, or misunderstood, um, another way of thinking of sales is like, effective communication, right? It, it's a persuasive communication. So like David was giving some examples earlier, which were great. And another one that came to my mind, which was like, even in your home life, right? Like sometimes you have to like sell your children on why they need to do their homework or sell right. their children on why they need to go to bed at nine so that they can wake up early and feel rested. Or you need to sell your wife on why you should take a, I don't know, a ski vacation versus a beach vacation, right? Well, and so, or, or she's going to sell you, right? And so right. it's not necessarily like sable, selling because that's just like a label. I mean, if you want to look at it that way um, in a Wolf of Wall Street kind of context. But in reality, even since the beginning of time, those who could articulate their vision and their thoughts and their needs better, more effectively, and were able to persuade others like ultimately like the byproduct of that is that you experience a better life because things tend to go your way more often. And if you can couple that with 
good morals and good values and actually persuade people into doing things that are, are not solely advantageous for you, but that have like a mutually beneficial component or dynamic. Right. Um, right. you can all, you can use that skill in a, to create more win-win scenarios, which, which takes it even to another level, right? We're not, where somebody's okay. not getting, um, you know, taken advantage of just because you're such an effective, you know, seller. But my question was, is there any resources or books uh, that you've come across that you think would be a good starting point or for somebody to even who's maybe already has a fundamental background on selling, like, let's say like myself, uh, but that wants to maybe take their game to the next level or right. who wants to do it, let's say a, a hard refresher on some of the, the aspects of, my, of selling. One of my favorite books is the magic kingdom. The and magic it kingdom. That's what Disney. Okay. It was, it was brought to me by my fiance's oh. father who was great. When you, but what it said was, the first thing it said is, who's your competitor? And for Disney, you would think it's Knott's Berry Farm, it's Six Flags, and Disney says, everyone's our competitor because it's an experience, right? So in the restaurant industry, King Crab might be going against Pelicans, but the reality is people are going to eat. So everyone is in our industry. They talk about details. They talk about, you know, why when you walk in every single day <laughs> Disneyland, there's the golden poles and they clean it every single day because there's consistency, right? Mm -hmm. That to me was probably one of the most epic books I have ever read. I make every intern read it. I make every manager read it. Love it. Because you can't argue with Disney's success, right? And is that, is that, so the Magic Kingdom, I'm just looking it up right now, is that written by Walt Disney or is that a... It's written, uh, uh, let me see if I can find that the magic kingdom. If you Google it, I mean, you could definitely find it. Um, but it's a, it's a magical book and it's an easy read. Tom Connell Connell. Right. I think that's one. Right. And it's an easy read. Right. But it it really makes you think a little bit more in detail things that you have to do. That was probably one of the best sources I had. And and I think to your second point, you know, you talk about, about, life and, and things like that and, and and what selling is selling sometimes has a negative connotation it's not a right. negative connotation it's just you trying to persuasively try to get your way or try to balance out your way with somebody else and i think a lot of people who are in business uh tend to forget that at the end of the day you have to do it from other people's perspective so i'll give you another example Great point. when i was at deloitte one of my biggest clients was foxconn foxconn makes tier two stuff for computers iphones a whole night a giant fortune 500 company and we were the only people in the world who had foxcom as an audit client for the whole entire country of mexico wow the only at deloitte when i was asked how we did that i was very very simple i honestly wanted to be the friend of mike yang who was the controller controller at the time we were friends i'd give him advice i'd tell him what's going on I would give him updates on what was happening in Mexico and tax laws and tax changes and audit changes, things that were very specific to a CFO role without asking for anything. I just sent it to him because I cared. Look, if he failed. And he was on your team, right? I mean, he was. He wasn't even a client of mine at that time. Oh, oh, so he, okay, got it. He was just a client that I was looking to, to try to get. And I would send him different pieces of information because I wanted to show that I cared. And the way I looked at it was, if this guy shuts down, this large company shuts down, it's not good for the country, it's not good for business because they did not have all the information they need. A lot of times in business, you just go to the extent of what you're supposed to go to, you don't go the extra mile. And for us, it was constantly 
giving him updates, what was going on in the language that he understood. Adding so value, taking a Add value to it, right. your relationship. And then he would turn around and say, well, why aren't you giving me this information? They're right. giving us this information. The second thing I did, which was very, very powerful, good was I took less money. I know that we all have a value and I know that we have a basis that we have to do. I didn't lose money. I just took less money. I would show you that I could do it and I had the added value that you're looking for. So my guys are in real estate game, you're charging 6%. If you charge me 4% at what I would do is I would refer you to someone else or I would do additional business. And what he did was when he took the chance on me and we took less percentage and I had to convince my partners at Deloitte, this were a bunch of accountants and they had the faith in me to do so. We end up getting all of the audits and taxes and some of the mergers for the whole entire country. And we're the only one who did it in the world. And when I went to talk about this at our global conference, it was take less to give more because the customer will stay loyal and go from there. And people tend to forget that. Nothing annoys me more. And I'll tell you this. I'll have someone come to my house who wants to do yard work, hypothetically. Mm -hmm. And they're charging me more money because my house is a certain size and the cars are outside. Or the fact that they see me as a foreigner. Okay. That drives me nuts. If you had a consistent basis, I would be calling you consistently and you're betting on the hedge that you can take a hustle, a short sell and make quick money instead of being consistent. With Great tie-in. Too short-sighted, right? He just wants to make a big bite out of the gate. You never use him again. Way too short-sighted. And I've had this happen to where I've had friends, family members install cameras and then I end up buying four buildings and he even tells his, his, his dad, look, you screw that up. I can't go back to David because you didn't do it right the first time. And David's not going to give us a second chance. Got it. And vice versa, right? So, so that's very, very important to me on, on a strategy because you absolutely have to show your worth. And if you're worth it, they will keep you on. And a lot of people tend to forget that. As so well. you discounting your salary was a way of you adding more value to them first, right? To your group and to the client. And so you could basically justify a higher fee and more business and more opportunity through um, production and through, um, like I said, adding that value versus like wanting a whole bunch and letting like kind of ego get in the way and only worrying about your needs versus the person right. on the other side of the table. Right. I mean, you have to understand that the other person has a, a boss that they have to talk to, whether it's the board, whether it's their upper boss. And you have to understand that you have to make them look good as much as they have to make you look good. So it is very much like a relationship and you have to really bloom that relationship. And if you can help save them money or help work with them, then you should and vice versa. Now, if they take advantage of you, the business is done right then and there. And that's what I mean by character. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, what I realized that hasn't happened, they really appreciate it and they continue to grow. And that's how we got 82% of the marketplace in a whole country when we started by ourselves, because we added those core values that were extremely important to what we're trying to do. Love it, man. Thank you so much for sharing that with, with both myself and, and the audience. So as we kind of wrap up here, I know we've had you for a bit over an hour now. Um, where can these uh, guys or where can my, my listeners uh, find you online if they want to reach out and maybe have a question or, or just kind of follow what you're up to with some of your projects? Absolutely. Uh, obviously, um, on social media, it's David Chen Panda. That's for branding purposes, obviously. It works. What's the uh, backstory with the panda thing, dude? Just okay, it was funny. I wanted to ask you about that. I, I actually hated a panda. I thought it was a soft, mushy creature who uh, probably could could go run a couple of miles, and it wasn't like the most vicious creature. 
one day we were on a dust ball rally and I had to put, I was a sponsor for that. And I had to put up three names of a company and I was just like, Panda loves you. So what ended up happening was uh, we were allegedly in, in Mexico city driving cars and the APB came out and it said, there are three cars that are going fast. Uh, it says dust ball rally. The other one was uh, Corvette. The other one was some other car. And with the hashtag Panda loves you. And <laughs> me, it, from there, it kind of went a little bit more viral and went from there. And I stuck with Panda. But what I realized is anytime somebody, when you think about this, they're at Panda Express, they see a Panda anywhere else, they think about me and they yeah. send me photos. What it did was it gave me a brand, an identity. It sure did, man. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, and I don't remember the first time I, I, I kind of heard you aligned with the whole Panda concept. I, I don't recall. But I mean, there's been moments, like literally every single moment, dude, I actually see a panda. I do think about you. I have to be very Appreciate honest that. with you. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, of course, or not. yeah, just I, I could probably count on, you know, one hand, like five times distinct times that I saw a panda, like somewhere on our vacations or travels and David Chen just immediately. I appreciate it. So, so it's working. <laughs> it's, thank you. It I also have a podcast. It's called Pandanomics. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> panda economics as well. Uh, you can follow me there and, 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 you know, I'd be more than happy to chit chat with anybody, you know, give advice and, and, and just try to make it, you know, better for everybody. So I appreciate you asking me that. Fantastic, dude. Thank you for sharing. And is there any other, um, I know you mentioned the sales book, but is there any other aspects of like your daily routine or habits, uh, resources, anything that you've stumbled across lately that's been beneficial for you that you would want to share with the audience, whether it's like lifestyle related or resource related or, um, you know, something that they could, they could read or just kind of like level themselves up that you're, you're kind of big on at the moment. Ego. Checking your ego. I, I think that's important. You know, a lot of guys, you know, when I see, let's use a hypothetical, these, the guys who are, you know, these giant drug dealers, right? Who needs $150 billion? It's an ego issue, right? It's an ego issue. It's had I just made it one time going from there. A lot of times what we do wrong is we start getting so uncomfortable being comfortable. Again, like I said earlier, our egos get away and we try to do other ventures or we don't understand it. So we don't trust and our egos get away. We, won't, we don't want to fix it. Or my, in, in certain other cases, your friend now has a Lamborghini Huracan. So now your ego says, forget my Gallardo. I need an Inventador. What you don't realize is your other friends have two private jets. It's an ego issue. And Five ends. years ago, would you have been grateful for where you are? The answer is, Absolutely, you would have been. And we tend to forget that because our perspective is being unappreciative. We don't really appreciate what we have because if we did, the ego would chime down 100% and go from there. And that to me is important because that self awareness and that self realization as a business person will tell you also I can't do everything, I can do certain things. I am worth this, I am not worth this. I do want to do this business. Oh my gosh, I don't have enough money to do it, but for the sake of my face, I'm going to tell I'm going to do it and then I'm going to struggle and I can't figure out how I'm going to, you know, how to eat. That's an ego issue. And a lot of times you just can't, you can't. And if you checked your ego, I promise anybody that looks really inward, it will make your life a thousand percent better. We fight with our significant others and we sometimes don't want to uh, concede because it's our ego, just mm -hmm. like in business we don't concede because of our ego there is a way around everything if you can check the eagles at the door and sometimes you just can't but the reality is 
I tell people, if you check your ego and it didn't work out, at the end of the day, you did everything you could do and, and that's between them and whoever they has to be between. But ego is so important to me. And, and do you think that you know, when Bill Gates gets home, that his, cares, his kids care that he's Bill Gates? They don't care he's Bill Gates, he's dad. Right. Well, he's the richest man in the world and he's great, but guess what? He's in ground zero with everybody else and his ego has to come back because you're just dad, I don't care who you are, right? So we do it all the time in our lives and then we choose not to do it. And that's, that's one thing. Another thing is perspective. And I, I say this every night. I mean, I really do, I'm very grateful every morning just to wake up. I am very grateful to just to go to bed. I am very grateful throughout my day. I have a self-reflection moment right before I sleep. First thing I do is wake up. I say, thank you for allowing me to wake up. Whoever you believe in, whatever you believe in. Mm -hmm. But that perspective changes a lot because, you know, I believe in power of positivity. And it's not some foo-foo thing. It's just, you know, my parents are nagging. Well, at least you still have your parents that are alive. There's always something, right, that you can There's find that someone else or a majority of the population doesn't have that you have that you're taking for granted, for right? Granted. And, and so that's where, like, when I started doing that, I started having real freedom. Just, I'll, I'll tell you, man, it just it didn't matter anymore. And you it's do just, have a daily practice or at least something that you try to be conscious about, like you said, when you wake up, just to kind of take a few minutes to kind of run through a checklist. My daily, yeah, my daily practice is to be grateful for what I have. My daily practice is if I know I'm wrong and I know my gut, I immediately apologize. I don't care who it is, what the it is. The transparency, right? The transparency, just being very forthcoming. Okay. My, my immediate thing is, is I absolutely have to think about and being grateful for what we have at night. Because the misconception is, is that we're going to live to 100. And the reality is only 1% of the world lives to 100. Yeah, at this point, right? yeah. And so what are you worried about? Um, and, and the last thing I'd probably say is, and I, is you're a survivor. You survived 100% of your worst days. Every heartache, every failure, every loss, every time you thought the world was over, every time you changed a career, every single time you thought you weren't going to make it, you freaking made it. So stop making such a big deal about things because you're a survivor and you'll be perfectly fine. I love that, dude. So finding things in your past, even if they're what you perceive as small wins, as like like anchor in on or harness those those moments of of success or accomplishment and, and leverage them to just tell yourself that like I've done it before, I can do it again. Like I've got myself into the gym before I can get myself into the gym again. Right. Or I've, I've, I've made a sell before I can make another sell and I can do that, you know, maybe, um, at scale. I love, I love that dude. Thank you. Bro. Um, all right. Yeah. I feel like there's so much more I'd want to talk to you about, but I've had you on the horn for a, a bit too long. Uh, final question here, David. Um, let's see here. Um, what's the change that you would like to see, uh, in the world? during your lifetime? Self-healing. I think we have a lot of our problems in life and in the world because we've never self-healed. You know, when I, the other day this happened, someone said something to me and I immediately reacted very negatively and very angrily. I had to go back in time and think about why I did that. What in my past made me think the way I think and to instantaneously react the way I did, what was my insecurity that led me to that? And that's when I had to have that self-reflection and that ego check and heal from that. You know, we all have our scars. We have all our injustices, some more than others. It's not fair. It's not right. But I feel like if you can self-heal yourself, it is your duty to not pass it down to the next generation. We have to break the cycle. 
I always say that if I was born in this in, in, in the generation of my grandfather or my father, I am probably wouldn't be the same person. Right. I, I was very fortunate to go from there. And a lot of times, you know, I talk very openly about my my very poor relationship with my father and how now we tell each other we love each other and we talk and we spend vacations together when even four years ago I couldn't even stand them. You know? This is your, your grandpa had, or your dad? My dad. And I had to wow. heal. I had to heal. And I had to heal and I had to understand his perspective because a lot of times he just didn't know any better. He didn't right. have the mother I had. He didn't have the fiance I had. He didn't have the friends that I have. He didn't have the knowledge that I had. He didn't yeah. have that. Game changer. It's a game changer. And for me, how can I ever preach compassion and love if I can't give it myself? And it doesn't mean that you have to accept everything that they do. It's just you have to be more understanding. And if you heal yourself, you will eventually heal them. And, and that has really come full circle in my life because I've been very fortunate enough to heal the relationships that wanted to be healed and healed myself to be extremely happy and positive. And I do have the bad days like everyone else, but I, I tend to heal what I have because I don't want my children to do the same thing. I, I want to break that cycle. And that's how I do it. I heal them. And is part of healing um, both apologizing and forgiving? It's forgiving first mm -hmm. and apologizing after. And, 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 and you, know, you know, to talk about that was with my father as a business guy, it's, you know, at a certain age of 16, 17, as a man, you start manning up to your pops, right? That's just every, every guy, right? It's a toss you man up to your pops and, and you test your manhood. And then as a man, you know, at least from this perspective, mm -hmm. I can only talk as man because I'm a man, right? I don't, I don't know the female perspective <laughs> as well. Um, but we're taught to be breadwinners and to bring home things. And our value is based on money. And Predicated capital. on money, yeah. Right, which is the wrong, which is wrong. And what I realized was the one thing with my father was we argued, we fought. I stopped talking to him. I disowned him. I didn't want anything to do with him. I was disgusted by him. He had so many injustices. How could you do this? Dude, all I wanted was to, as a kid was to have my dad hold me and be my dad. All I've ever wanted. Acceptance, love, validation. Acceptance, love. And, and when I looked at my grandfather, who was a great guy, but my grandfather's father died when my grandfather was two. My grandfather was in the middle of World War I. He, he, you know, he didn't even have the luxury of having like a supportive, loving dad. So he doesn't even know what that means. Right. Yeah. So do I blame my dad? Do I blame my grandfather? Do I blame my great-grandfather for dying? Who, who, who do I blame for that? Right. And what ended up healing me the most was I just learned to love him for who he was. Not for who I wanted him to be. I'm not a spoiled kid anymore. It's for who you are. And I learned to love him for who he was, and then he learned to love me for who I was, and I had to take the first step, and it wasn't easy. But I say this all the time to people. If I gave someone who was economically disadvantaged, a dollar. Between me and a higher being, I did what was right in my heart because I wanted to help you. If that person chooses to lie to me, blow it on something else, whatever yeah. they want to do, that's between them and them. But I did the right thing. And that's the same thing with, with, with self-healing. If I reach out and I try to heal to you and you don't come back, the door's open, I've healed myself, I've Great allowed analogy. you. You flushed exactly. your negative energy like it's the energy out, out, right? And it heals. And what ends up happening is all the chains that we had in our past disappear slowly and surely. And it's 
Lucas, I'll tell you, man, it is the most phenomenal blessing I've ever had because it just made life easier. Dude, f- phenomenal, like final takeaway. I think we'll end it at that. Um, I'm definitely going to need to have you back on my show, dude. Maybe towards Anytime, the end of the year friend. when we actually have a little bit of the foundation established. Absolutely, but man. Thank you so much, bro, for uh, just taking some time out of your day to obviously sit down and talk with me as a friend, but also to share um, you know, some of that with, with an audience. I know there's people out there that are probably listening to this that are at different stages of their journey. Uh, whether they're just trying to take themselves to the next level and they're kind of already succeeding um, or they're at the very beginning stage or maybe they're going through a bit of a, um, a life like redirect or change, you know, things are starting to take, change course a bit. And, um, you know, I'm sure some of the inspiring words that you've shared today, um, both on the business end and on the personal end, have, have made an impact in their life. And, and that's really what we're setting out to do with this show uh, is both learn and uh and share wisdom and and help people heal and and to step into the the highest and best version of themselves so that they can create companies and and children and families that'll that'll produce better outcomes for the the planet at large so thank you again dude so much uh, look forward to uh talking to you again soon thanks i love you brother talk to you guys love you too man thank you very much bro